and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. I'm Gareth Vaughan from interest.co.nz. Immigration is often a hot topic in New Zealand, and many of us, of course, are immigrants or the descendants of immigrants. The numbers have fluctuated dramatically over the years and almost ground to a halt when the border was closed at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic in March 2020. But now the borders are open again and people, once again, are able to move between New Zealand and other countries. Business lobby is, is crying out for workers and an election approaches in 2023. Given all this, it seems timely to have a discussion about migration and the population more broadly. To do this, I'm joined by Productivity Commission Chairman Ganesh Nana. Hi Ganesh and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. It's good to have you with us. Look, the Productivity Commission recently undertook an inquiry into New Zealand's long-term immigration settings. There was a, a range of, well, there were a range of recommendations that came out of this. The one that caught my eye was the call for a government policy statement setting a clear strategic direction for immigration policy. This seems like a, a good place for us to start because New Zealand has no clearly articulated population strategy. So why did you call for this government policy statement? Well, I think the the overwhelming impression we got when we doing the inquiry was just how, I suppose, ad hoc, I suppose, our immigration policy settings have been and how they've developed over the, the last few, well, over the last couple of decades um, and how disconnected they are from other um, public policy questions. And um, clearly the level of immigration influences um, our overall population, influences the, the requirement for... Um, infrastructure, whether it be transport networks or whether it be hospitals or schools, um, and uh, whether it be energy requirements, um, early childhood, all of those sorts of things, those sort of infrastructure investments. Um, there's a disconnect between our immigration policy settings and those other decisions, and indeed a disconnect between the the workforce training efforts we do as a nation in terms of skill development and um, and, and labour market uh, policy. And it's, it's that disconnect and how immigration is, is um, immigration policy decisions have been uh, taken without any regard for those other decisions that, that need to be made. And uh, so the, the policy statement or the recommendation for a government policy statement was really to encourage government to um, bring all of those arms of government policy together in the one statement and, and actually see how they connect so that they are consistent, internally consistent with each other. Um, and that's critical. And then also hopefully embed in a bit more of a longer term focus for immigration rather than the, as I say, the, rather than the ad hoc adjustments that we get every few months or years. Ad hoc seems to be a very good description to me when you, you think back over the last couple of decades, as, as you say. Um, obviously, you know, the numbers um, really, really fluctuate dramatically, as I said in the introduction, in terms of the number of, of, of immigrants coming in. And obviously, there's a lot of factors related to that. Um, but why do you think this has been such an ad hoc area of public policy? 
Well, I, I would think that it's um, that it's not peculiar for public policy to have a, a relatively short-term time horizon, and I think that uh, encourages that ad hocery and encourages, I suppose, the lobbying nature of of the way we do public policy and and the scramble to get at the front of the queue saying you're the most important sector in the country and require these sorts of skills. Uh, and the the way we derive policy, it encourages that sort of behaviour and um, discourages the, the, the longer term perspectives that we need. Just why do we want immigration? What is the purpose of immigration? What are the overall policy, uh, po- population settings that we think are appropriate given um, our investment plans, investment plans in terms of public transport, in terms of regional development, in terms of um, developing um, health services, education services. So it's the, 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 that longer term context needs to be put in and it is not encouraged by the, the lack of, we would say, the lack of this, I suppose, a, a policy statement that drives um, government to look to that long term. So in terms of the government policy statement that you have called for, what sort of time frame should this have? Well, um, ideally uh, something like a 10-year horizon, if not longer. Um, now, undoubtedly, it would need to be, I suppose, revised every sort of three, four years, given the the change in the landscape because lots of things happen that we don't foresee. Uh, but I, I think that 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 sense of direction, that track that we are, um, and whether the number is high or low, we're relatively agnostic with that, uh, and that's a decision to be made. But we're on this track of immigration ar- around this sort of range that businesses can expect to continue over the longer term, over the next few years, they can plan accordingly. Um, those local government in terms of infrastructure requirements, local government will need, will be aware that this is the track we're on. Communities will have, make, be making similar decisions. And dare I say, education and training uh, will make, um, will be aware of these decisions and we can uh, incorporate that into our, um, our workforce uh, efforts in terms of how much skills and training we need to do in particular areas. So in terms of this call for a, a government policy statement, what sort of response did you get from the government to this and indeed from some of the opposition politicians? Well, um, we haven't had the formal response from government yet uh, and we are expecting that before Christmas So, and we await that with, um, with some eagerness. Uh, I suppose... Uh, informally across many agencies and, and uh, uh, interest groups, we've, we've had a fairly positive response to it, very much in the context of um, embedding in some, some certainty, some degree of certainty. We're never going to get 100% certainty, but some degree of certainty around um, immigration and, and also population growth um, and some level of... Um, I suppose, direction that that then people can plan around. Ultimately here, are we talking about a population policy? And and by this, I mean setting a specific target for how many people we want living in New Zealand at a specific time. And I mean, you know, 
I guess we're a remote country with a small population, so we're in a position where we can shape things, you know, how we'd like to a large degree. So I guess I'm curious here as to, um, you know, should we push for a significantly bigger population, you know, like say 10 million to create a, a larger domestic market for the goods and services New Zealanders produce and, and recre- recreate some of the buzz and, and culture found overseas? Or in a crowded world of, I think we're about 7.8 billion people now, would we be better off actually trying to retain a small population? Well, um, in, in terms of our findings, um, we're relatively agnostic between those two options. It's a, it's a, it's a question on its own, and it's de- dearly a question I, I would love to go into in a lot more detail. But critically, when we ask those questions, we need to make sure that whichever of those routes we go down, we have consistent policies and consistent expectations in other areas. So if we go to the the high route in terms of population, then that requires us to do some significant investment in supporting infrastructure, whether it be regional development, whether it be public transport, whether it be health and education and other social services, whether it be investment in sort of um, community expectations and community acceptance of that sort of level of population. We've got a lot of work to do to go down that route. So it's not just setting a target or setting a range. It's ensuring that we understand what the consequences of that are in terms of investment decisions, uh, investment requirements, so, and, and indeed workforce requirements. Similarly, if we go down the low route, what are the investment decisions and um, workforce requirements that are consistent with that path and with that trajectory? And it's that consistency we've got to get. And so it's not just a population decision on its own, a population decision. As the Infrastructure Commission has pointed out quite clearly, it's um, the the, the uh, other decisions that go alongside whatever population route we might choose to try, take. I would add, though, and I, I do need to add, it's, it's, it's a caution in that we can't control our population totally. And, and there will be relatively, um, I suppose, larger swings than many would like because, and and I don't suggest we would ever want to curtail this, but because New Zealanders have a habit of going abroad quite often and, 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 and that flow of New Zealanders both offshore and onshore is quite a significant part of our population growth over the short term anyway. But the longer term planning about, um, I would suggest, um, some a setting of clear expectations that we are, are having a population growth rate of X percent over the next 10, 15 years. That goes into the GPS and then alongside that then drives and sends signals about infrastructure planning, about how big Auckland needs to be, about how big other regions would grow, what are the workforce requirements to support that, those sorts of considerations. It strikes me listening to you here, I mean, that, that, that this is a really big issue. Um, and, you know, look, we've had referendums in New Zealand in the past on things that are not probably nearly as important as this. I think of the, the flag referendum. I mean, OK, it was a big deal to some people, but I think this is a bigger issue in the you know long run for New Zealand. As you say, the population, it impacts infrastructure needs, the labour market, the environment, just to name three things. Do you think a, a referendum 
on on the, the sort of population size we'd like to have would be a reasonable thing to do? Um, I'm cautious. I mean, obviously, I, I'm incumbent to say, I say Productivity Commission <laughs> doesn't have a view on referendums. So, <laughs> um, I, I, I would, so uh, apologies if I sort of... Um, I won't say avoid the question, but I think the critical thing is an understanding of the argument, an understanding of a of the information and the issues at play. So a definitely a grown up mature conversation about immigration and population, we would definitely encourage and and, and would say is uh, well is uh, critically needed in the New Zealand context because we do have a lot of uh, myths out there about immigration and population. And, and, and then I suppose the reason why we're agnostic about the population size is because it's not the answer. Um, it's not that in terms of our productivity and, and indeed our well-being um, journey, it's not the answer to lifting productivity by having more people in New Zealand. And it's not the answer to, by having less people. It's what goes alongside it. Uh, so we could, and we're in a relatively, some would argue, a relatively privileged position here in Aotearoa to have options in terms of um, what sort of trajectory we might have in terms of population, um, overall population growth. I'm not keen on setting a particular target, but at least some, some certainty around uh, long-term growth would help with um, business planning, community planning and policy planning. And I think that's the the debate or the the conversation we've got to have um, rather than the, um, I suppose my, I suppose my concern about a referendum on its own without the supporting information and, and um, mature conversation would be, it would um, just encourage, uh, I suppose, the extremes. One argument that is that I often hear, and quite often from the commenters on our on our website, um, is that the population policy the New Zealand governments have have pursued in recent years is effectively to import low wage workers to suppress wage growth and prop up the housing market. I just wonder, does that, in your mind, does that stack up? And also, can immigration be used to actually lift the incomes of people in the in the host nation? And, and if so, how? Well, um, those, those, you know, the the immigration being used as bringing in low wages and uh, depressing, uh, increasing house prices, it's one of those myths that we do need to blow out of the water. Um, and our and our evidence and our inquiry provided that evidence. Um, there is, there's no. Um, overwhelming uh, evidence that uh, immigration has uh, impacted wages negatively or impacted productivity negatively. We will, we do clearly say that there are uh, pockets of areas in the economy by sector and by region where it has had those negative impacts, but overall immigration has been positive for New Zealand. Uh, and, and as for house prices, I mean, house prices have been growing uh, and we've had that problem in terms of housing uh, for a lot longer than we had the latest surge in migration. Um, so it's a, and, and that's part of your, in terms of your previous comment, 
uh, in terms of your previous question about referendum, my concern is that migrants do tend to be used as scapegoats. It's the easy, uh, it's the easy uh, finger to point at uh, in terms of um, looking for scapegoats for for our problems, problems with housing, problems with low wage economy, problems with productivity have been with us for a long time, and um, migration is not the problem. It's part of the solution. Uh, if we are, uh, but again, I cannot reiterate too strongly, it's part of the solution as long as we do the other stuff with it. We've got to invest in our infrastructure. We've in ignored that infrastructure. We've got to invest in what we, um, I, I suppose, what we called our um, absorptive capacity in the in our inquiry we the, the term absorptive capacity if we want to go down the route of a higher population growth uh, we need to make sure that the absorptive capacity is there so that's public transport hospitals schools um, education uh, houses all of those things they go together um, and and it's that investment effort in the broader sense um, infrastructure social investment all of those things need to go alongside our immigration policy now you are obviously the chairman of the productivity commission so productivity is an issue close to your heart um are there i mean based on what you've said thus far i'm not clear whether you think that um there are specific immigration or population settings that would improve productivity um so what in particular, can we do in the area of immigration, migration, that could improve productivity? Yeah, again, I, and, and my apologies if it sounds like I'm avoiding the question, but again, it's not immigration on its own. If we're serious about lifting productivity, then we could choose the immigration route, but that requires us to commit to some significant infrastructure speed, investment speed to build that absorptive capacity to ensure that those migrants as well as New Zealanders are productive when they come here, when they enter the workforce. That's the critical element that's missing. Yeah, as, as Productivity Commissioner, I am yeah, always ask that question, what's the one thing that we can do to lift productivity? It's not one thing, it's the wrong question. To lift productivity, we've got to do a range of things, a range of things that are consistent with each other. And that's why we call for that GPS. We've got to do uh, workforce development and training uh, that is consistent with our immigration settings, that is consistent with our housing investment, with our schools and all of those investments that lift absorptive capacity, that enable not just the migrants, but New Zealanders as well in the workforce to be productive when they are in that workforce, uh, when they are in jobs uh, and active in the economy. That's that's the critical element. And alongside that, by definition, investments mean for the long term. So alongside that, those immigration settings for the long term uh, to enable businesses to plan, you know, to give us that level of certainty to plan their investments uh, in uh, new kit and new machinery and new equipment, new ways of doing things, investment in R&D. Uh, it's for the long term alongside um, the investments in workforce skills and training that we need to do 
alongside the immigrants that we might need to attract as well. In terms of the immigrants we need to attract, I'm just curious to just ask briefly about, I guess, high-skilled immigrants versus perhaps low-skilled people, but, you know, maybe people with a really, really good work ethic and attitude. And, I mean, can probably all we've probably all had Uber drivers who have PhDs or their doctors, med- medical doctors or something in their home country and maybe can't work in that area in, in New Zealand. And then you, you you meet people who perhaps have come here as a refugee and they work incredibly hard um, and, you know, maybe they, you know, run a small business. Um, their children will, I can think of examples of people I've met, um, the children will get really good educations and become really, you know, high quality professionals when they're grown up. So that's, I guess, a longer-term view as well. But I'm just, you know, the, in terms of the skill balance, what are the important things to, to consider? Well, um, in, in terms of the skill balance, it's, uh, it's, it should be the contra- potential contribution to productivity and well-being. And that's the, the, the concern, I suppose, we have with the current settings um, is around skills is tends to be um, uh, what's the word proxied by wages. So we are looking at uh, uh, you know with that wage threshold for the current immigration settings. It does um, concern us that it does uh, I suppose encourage this idea that it's wages that deliver um, productivity uh, or high wages are delivering higher productivity rather than acknowledging that. There are a range of um, industries and sectors that, at least in the short term, need uh, workers of appropriate skills. Um, as long as, uh, and I'm, I'm okay with those sorts of calls, as long as they are put alongside some longer term plans around workforce development. Um, uh, and so, so the, the, the classic example that I would use um, in terms of that high skill, low skill debate or the high wage, high wage, low wage debate is the, the need for aged care workers in our aged care industry. Now, many of those are um, arguably at the minimum wage or at the lower end of our wage spectrum. And, but at least in the short term, there isn't the workforce in New Zealand to fill those gaps. If you look at it from a well-being lens, um, if we uh, have a set of values where we, we need to look after our aged population, uh, we need those workers. But we cannot continue to rely on the migration uh, avenue to continue to fill those gaps over the longer term. So we need to make sure that, that's another example, making sure that our immigration leaders are consistent with our long-term workforce development uh, programs and levers, that's the that's where I'm. Uh, on that high skill, low skill conversation. Again, um, I think it's more around the the capabilities of the workers that we're after, and whether we can source them externally or internally. It's going to be a combination of those. Definitely, if we're looking over the longer term. To what extent should a, a debate on 
immigration and population include the natural resources influencing our living standards and quality of life. And I mean, the, I guess the, the land use um, that we have with our, our pastoral activities and forestry, um, and obviously there's issues around there that we're wrestling with with climate change at the moment, but that's a area where New Zealand earns a lot of, um, you know, I guess our export earnings and, and then the natural beauty that attracts tourists and also pro- helps produce our energy. We must uh, surely have to factor all this in too. And that just makes it a lot more complex. Uh, and again, that's one of those things that we need to ensure that our immigration leaders are connected to. Uh, and so, yes, um, the impact of whatever population path we choose, what is the impact on our climate change or our climate emissions obligations? Uh, that should be factored into that GPS, those commitments that we have. And again, that requires then, that would require certain investments in transformation, certain investments in the in the natural environment and, and um, investments in changing the way we do things to ensure that we meet those obligations. So, um, yes, and again, that, again, that's an argument about whether a higher population has an impact on um, on our on our climate obligations. It probably does, but it's not a one for one, and it's definitely not always in one direction. We might um, we we definitely need to have that conversation, um, and we definitely need to again. I suppose over the long term, if we've got a clear sense of direction of the trajectory of our population growth, then we can build that into our uh, regional development programs around our land use programs and around our land use choices as well. I suppose in that conversation, um, one element that that we did pick up um, that we haven't come across here or haven't uh, introduced here, I'll just bring in now, is um, the conversation with Māori in terms of, uh, and not just land use, in terms of immigration. Um, and we make the point in our inquiry that the Tatriti was um, you know, our first immigration document into Aotearoa. It literally enabled the colonisers to bring in their people. That's, that's explicitly in the preamble of Tatriti. And it's, it's um, a little, well, more than a bit sad that in the 180 years since the signing of Tatriti, we haven't gone back, we as a nation, haven't gone back to Tamari to ask them for their uh, their thoughts on immigration policy settings, and it's not embedded in the in the infrastructure of our immigration settings. So we're very keen in ensure, in terms of our recommendations, that that gap is is filled, and that Māori are part of those immigration conversations um, because that's part of our obligations under the treaty, and indefinitely there are many Māori that are here around the, the impact of population on our natural resources, on the whenua, on the water quality and, and indeed on access to water that many Māori have been shut out of. So again, it just reinforces how immigration needs to be connected to all those other arms of government rather than uh, excluded or disconnected as it has been in the past. The, recent, the most recent figures from Statistics New Zealand actually showed that we had our, in the June year, we had our slowest population growth rate since the late 1980s. Um, And the natural increase in the population of 24,100 was the the lowest since World War II. Um, 
the po- population increasing just 0.2% to 5.124 million in the June year. This is quite interesting. I mean, there were population declines in Auckland, Wellington, Nelson, the West Coast and Southland. It's a, in stark contrast to what was happening pre-COVID when we were having annual population growth running around 2%. How do we assess this this slowdown? Um, is this really related to COVID? Is there more going on here? Um, and is this, I mean, is this good news, bad news, or 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 a bit of both? Well, again, uh, let's not get too uptight about one year. Uh, let's also, I mean, it was COVID. Let's not forget it's COVID, and and like World War Two, which was the last time we had this sort of growth, it was an exceptional period. Um, what we probably do need to consider, though, is you know, what is our population growth trajectory? What do we want to plan for? Um, and and put in levers to, in, to, to reach that trajectory. Um, the fact that our natural increase, our birth rate is declining, is not news. Demographers have been telling us that for a long time, as have uh, economists. Um, so if we do have a population trajectory that is based around some, uh, I won't say large, but some rate of growth that's you know, above, above 0.5, say, then we are going to require migrants. Um, so migration is always going to be part of our population story. Migration has always been part of the story of Aotearoa. So that uh, just reinforces just how important this question is. Um, I, I'm to me, I'm not going to get too upset about population decline in one year. Again, I'm a person that looks over the longer term. The trends are, as as many in the Western world and Western economies, yes, population growth is slowing. Our birth rates are declining. Um, that shouldn't scare us. It's a challenge. We do need to think about how do we plan accordingly. Regional development, regional growth, yes. Again, it's a question for us to think about. There are lots of challenges and there are lots of opportunities with change. And I suppose what reinforcing, I suppose, the experience of the last couple of years, the next 10 or 20 years are going to look a lot different than the previous 10 or 20 years. That shouldn't, well, it might scare us, but that shouldn't go and get us into a sort of knee-jerk reaction of, how do we get back to the past years? I mean, it's the, the sort of knee-jerk reaction that we need to get back to what we had before COVID. Well, let's think about how do we progress forward given the world has changed. And I know it's a cliche, but recognise this time it's right. The world is going to be a lot different. And if we continue to plan on the past, we will be um, uh, disappointed. I think we've got a, we've got an opportunity to set our own path and our own trajectory in terms of population uh, and uh, in terms of migration and population growth. Let's do that openly and um, explicitly rather than stumble into the rather large population growth we had pre-COVID. You mentioned um, earlier that you're anticipating the formal response from the government to your inquiry into long-term immigration settings before Christmas. Um, and, and I mentioned that next year obviously is an election year. Would you like and hope to see some more discussion and debate on these issues 
indeed heading into next year's election. Absolutely. Uh, we've got to have a, um, a mature and informed debate and, and, and hopefully the, the conversation and debate and argument doesn't um, decline into the extremes and doesn't decline into using migrants as the, um, the scapegoat for all of our problems because they definitely are not. Uh, migrants have contributed positively to Aotearoa New Zealand uh, for a long time and will continue to do so. Um, we just hope that um, we put it bes- alongside the migrants coming in significant investment in our absorptive capacity to ensure that not only migrants but uh, New Zealand, uh, resident New Zealanders here already as well can lift the, the productivity and indeed the well-being that comes from living here. Well, look, that's probably a good point to wrap up, Ganesh. That's uh, it's a really interesting topic, and I'm sure it's one we're going to continue to hear a lot more about. That is Ganesh Nana, who is chairman of the Productivity Commission, and I'm Gareth Vaughan from interest.co.nz with another episode of our Of Interest podcast.